good morning, church. How y'all doing? Good. My name's Nicholas, and uh, we're going to do something a little different this morning. Um, First of all, I need three brave people that want to come up here and hang out with me for a little bit. All right? I need some volunteers. I need one person, first of all, I need one person that's not afraid to read a little bit of Scripture. Somebody want to read Scripture? Want to come hang out? All right, right over there. Yep, yep. All right. Woo! Come on, give me a hand. I need two more people. Two more people. You want to come on up? Sure. And I see you in the back. Sweet. All right. Come on up. Come on up. How's it going? Uh, good. What's your name? Uh, Tarek. Tarek? All right. Have, have a seat over here if you want. All right. What's your name? Rena. Rena? Yeah. All right. Have a seat. Jamie. Jamie. Good to meet you guys. Thanks for, for coming. All right. Jamie, what's up? <laughs> you guys already know each other? Yeah. Wonderful. Awesome. All right. Can I get you guys some coffee or some water? Oh, I got my tea. You got tea? You're good? You, you don't want anything? Some water? You sure? All right, this is all for you guys, all right? So, so there's some napkins here. There's some scones, some meat, some cheese, some grapes. Help yourself. Um, remind me your name again, sorry. Oh, Tarek. All right, you are going to be, uh, you're going to be re- reading scripture, right? Uh, yeah. All right, so, so here's what I want you to do. Uh, read uh, Luke 19, 1 through 10. And, uh, and, and while he's reading, you guys help yourself. Normally, we would all stand for the reading of Scripture, but we're just, you know, kind of making ourselves at home today. So, so it doesn't mean we don't respect God's Word. We're just, you know, it's, it, it's, uh, it's hanging at home uh, and eating a little food day. So go ahead. Okay. Um, he entered Jericho, and he was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. 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 He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on the uh, account of the crowd, he could not, because he was a small he, he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a into a uh, sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass the, uh, that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him. Uh, Zacchaeus, yeah. Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, yep, right. um, hurry and come da- and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him jo- joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. And he was gone into the into be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Ooh. And Zacchaeus uh, stood and said to the Lord, "Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have." defrauded um, anyone of anything, I restored it fourfold. Four, uh, and Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Ooh. All right. Give him a hand. Thank you for reading. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. So seriously, make yourself at home. Help yourself uh, to, to some of the food while we hang out here. All right, so, so today we're going to talk about eating and drinking with Jesus. You know, our culture is, is really uh, obsessed with food, either with eating it or trying not to eat it, right? Or trying to eat the really good stuff, but it's, it's impossible, right? It's everywhere in our culture, and, and we just got through January, so everybody's pretty much well into their breaking their New Year's resolution, right? So uh, everybody's either doing like Whole30 or Paleo or Keto, depending on how trendy you are. Or how high your pain tolerance is. And, um, and I, remember, I gotta tell you a story. I remember uh, when the Carters first did uh, Whole30. And, and, and Pastor Jason was, I've never seen him so perpetually angry that he couldn't eat bread. He would just stand there. 
And you know it's a big deal if Pastor Jason is just standing there because he walks around everywhere. Anyway, um, <laughs> but we're obsessed with food. And, and, and what, I, what I see in the book of Luke is that Jesus really loves food. Have you noticed in the book of Luke that Jesus is constantly at a meal? Uh, one guy says that, that in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal, right? Like the dude likes to eat, right? And if you don't believe me, just look at this list. Luke 5, Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners at Levi's home. Luke 7, Jesus anoints, uh, is anointed at, at uh, Simon's home. Luke 9, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Luke 10, Jesus eats at Mary's and Martha's house. Luke 11, Jesus, Jesus condemns Pharisees at a meal. That'll get their attention. Luke 14, Jesus is at a meal, and he encourages people to invite the poor to their meals, not, not just their friends. And, and Luke 19, that's what we just read today about Zacchaeus, his last supper, right? The last supper, right? That's a meal that Jesus is having with, with his disciples. And even after the resurrection a resurrected body of jesus is still hungry for some for some fish with his disciples right the dude likes to eat and i i i i really dig that um there there's a there's a great little book called a meal with jesus that that i would like to recommend and and it makes uh this guy tim chester makes this uh statement oh Sorry, I'm going to jump in. Uh, Jesus' mission was to seek and to save the lost, but his method was through eating and drinking. All right? So check this out. If, say, <clears throat> say we live in the first century, right? And we hear this letter, because it's a letter, it's not a Bible then. They didn't have it all put together. And we hear it being read to us because it's an oral society. So you learn to pick up on little clues. And so that verse that we just read, that last verse in Luke 19, 10, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now we've all probably heard that somewhere and we're like, yeah, yeah, great verse. We, we love it. If you are listening to this in, in, in the first century and your ear is tuned to pick up on repetition, you know that this phrase has been used somewhere else in the book of Luke. And it's actually back in chapter 7. Uh, Jesus is having a discussion with people about people's response to him versus John the Baptist. And he says this, For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. He wasn't exactly like a party animal, right? Not the best guy to hang out with. The son of man came eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Right? So Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. But the way that he did it was by eating and drinking with sinners. Right? And, and apparently he did it so much that he got a reputation for being a glutton and a drunkard. Now, I don't think Jesus was either one of those things, just, just, just to be clear. But apparently he did it so much and was hanging around with these people and he, he was eating and drinking. He was always seen with them that the assumption was, you know, hey, that he's just one of them. I think Jesus was a party animal. I think Jesus really knew how to have a good time. And those people, apparently, they wanted to hang out with Jesus, too, right? right? I think his idea of a good time was just, just hanging out way late into the night, you know, having some grilled fish and some bread and cheese and pouring a pitcher of wine and just, just, just doing ministry and discipleship in that moment, in that type of space. I think it's so cool. So, uh, so his mission was to seek and save the lost. His method was eating and drinking. Now, I want to ask you guys a couple questions. So what, what is it about a meal? Why do you think Jesus uh, was, spent so much time eating a meal with, with other people? Mm. You got that? 
Um, probably because like um, you, you listen, you'll, you'll probably listen to him if he offers you like a meal or something, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, I mean that's yeah. How somebody I am. offers I'm me like, food, they have my attention. I, like, I'm, I'm totally really with focused you. when I'm. <laughs> that's good. That's good. What about you guys? What, why, why did Jesus use a meal so often? Because food makes people happy. Yeah, right? Are you happy right now? Yeah. Good. <laughs> I'm really happy. Good. Um, when you sit down and eat a meal, then everything else kind of around you stops so you can focus on your company. Mm, that's really good, right? I love it. I love it. Okay, tell me, um, what are your favorite meals to eat? Let's go around over. Hot wings. What is that? Hot wings. Ooh, hot wings. Yeah, come on. Breakfast. Breakfast. Any particular breakfast? No, just breakfast. Just breakfast in general. Awesome. I love it. Love it. Favorite meal? Tacos. Yes. Come on, tacos. Someone in the last service said tacos. That's a good one. All right, everybody, can you give these guys a big hand? Thanks for hanging out with me. You guys can take some with you if you'd like. Thank you for for coming and sharing our food here. Yeah, take it all. No, seriously, take it all. Take it all. It's the last service. You can have whatever you want. I don't need it. (laughs) Oh, Jesus loves food. Trying something a little different around here today, you know. So let's talk about Jesus and Zacchaeus. So I love this story. It's a classic, right? Many of us have heard this story. The first point I want to make about this story is it's not just a great kid's story, right? So I grew up in the early 90s when we had flannel graph boards. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Just Google it if you don't. It's basically, it's this big board where you cut out all the, all the Bible characters and it sticks to the board. You get to move them around and stuff, right? And this story is classic kid's story. It's got all the elements, right? I mean, Zacchaeus is short. Kids are short. Zacchaeus climbed a tree. Kids like to climb trees. Uh, the, the, the moral of the story is like, look out for Jesus. Or I don't know, something like that. And that was just my experience. But, but the thing is that the Bible's not written directly to kids. There are layers and layers of depth and meaning that are often easy to miss if we're just used to a story. And sometimes we learn the, the kid version of the story, but never grow up and learn the adult version. And this story is wildly controversial and disruptive. And so what I want to do is kind of get into the heads of the the first century listeners of this story and find out what is so disruptive about what is going on here. All right. So first thing I want to talk about is tax collectors. All right. So. So you could probably assume like tax collectors are sinners, right? And Jesus likes to eat with sinners. And, and I, I don't know about you, but I kind of think like, man, Jesus, he's, he, he eats with sinners, the bad guy. He's kind of punk rock in that way, right? It's really cool. But that's, we might think that, but we don't have a totally a great grasp on what tax collectors are because we don't really have anything like tax collectors in our current society. And IRS agents do not count. But the tax collector is the worst of the worst sinner, right? So when, when you read tax collector, we don't have anything to connect it to. But imagine if, if instead you heard that Jesus was hanging out with a pedophile meth dealer uh, neo-Nazi, right? Immediately, immediately, like images are in your head of what is going on. Why is he hanging out with people like that? 
That's what tax collector meant. Tax collector is actually, they were, uh, Zacchaeus was a Jew. They were Jews who were hired by the Roman government. They were traitors to, to actually take the taxes, take Rome's tax. And so if I'm like coming back from fishing from the Jordan River and on my way into town and I get stopped by a tax collector, he's going to tax me Rome's tax, which is going to be something like 50%. And then he can add his own fee on top of it. So like, let's just say 70 70%, you're going to charge me, say, oh, let's make it 80. And he can do that if he wants, because he's got the Roman army behind him to enforce it. Right? So these were bad guys, and everybody knew who they were. Everybody knew who Zacchaeus was, because they ran into him all the time, and he's always taking advantage of them. So when you hear tax collector, and the idea that Jesus is hanging out with this sort of person, that's a big deal. So what does Zacchaeus do? So uh, he hears that Jesus is coming through town, and apparently he's short, and so he decides to climb this tree to see Jesus, right? And I think the sort of like the surface level lesson of that is uh, something like, like our, uh, Zacchaeus didn't let his physical limitations keep him from Jesus. And I think that that's good. That's a good, solid lesson. But I think there's something even deeper, Because when you think of how bad this dude was, of where his moral and spiritual condition was, the significance of the fact that he was able to recognize that Jesus was coming is a way bigger deal than just his physical limitations. See, not only did he not let physical limitations keep him from seeing Jesus, his spiritual condition didn't keep him from recognizing God coming in flesh and blood. See, when the love of God is embodied, when it truly takes on flesh and blood, nothing will keep you from seeing it, right? We don't have to like, we don't have to like chase people down and preach at them and say, you're a sinner and you're going to hell. If we are embodying the radical grace and love of Jesus, nothing's going to keep them from seeing it. They're going to want to see it. They're going to recognize it and they'll do whatever. They'll climb a tree to see it. So why is the meal a big deal? Why does the meal matter? So in the the next verse, it says, So he hurried down, he came down the tree. He received Jesus joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. This is the crowd that's around Jesus. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Why is the meal a big deal? What, what, why does it matter? We have meals all the time, right? Like you go to meal, meals with your co- coworkers or your boss or your friends. And, and, and meals really don't have the same significance for us in our culture that they had for them. See, in that culture, meals were a place to, to eat with people of a similar status, right? You always wanted to eat with someone that, that, that is like you or higher. You would try to eat up, right? You try to, to hang out with people who were better than you or higher than you or had a had a greater status than you. And, and this happened over time. This, this idea uh, is called table fellowship, where the table becomes a, a, a critical, important place where life is done. It's a place to, where, to include the people that you want to include and to exclude those who you, who you don't want in your life. And this happened, uh, it started really years and years ago, uh, in, in about 800 years before this event, Uh, Israel was taken into captivity. The temple was destroyed, 
And there was no sacrificial system now to, to follow. You can't do, you can't follow Torah without the temple and the sacrificial system and they're taken into exile. So new customs were created and the home and the table became central to worship. The home became kind of like your temple and the table was like your altar and, and you worshiped and, 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 and you, you, you invited people in based off of who you felt should be a part of that sacred space. But what happened over time is additional legalism and rules uh, started to be put into place. And the Pharisees started to expect the same standards from average people that the priests would be held to. And so anybody who would be considered outside of your culture, Gentiles, anyone who is unclean in any way, they'd never be let in. You would not invite them into your home. And so in Jesus' time, the idea of a rabbi, which Jesus is eating with a sinner of any kind, much less a tax collector, would be completely taboo. Right? And what Jesus is doing is, whereas the rest of the culture is keep using the table to keep people out, he's using it to enter, help them enter into his kingdom. Right? He's welcoming the poor. So rather than eating up, he's always eating down. He's always reaching out to the poor, right? He's reaching out to the sinner. He's inviting them to the table. And that's why he has this reputation that he does of being a glutton and a drunkard because he eats with sinners. Guys, this is so radical. So let's talk for a second about Zacchaeus' response, right? What does Zacchaeus do? So in verse 8, it says, Zacchaeus stood and said, he's standing at the meal, right? Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come into this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. You see, it's at this moment where, where, where Zacchaeus talks about what he's going to do, that he not only repents of his sins, but he actually is going to make right everything that he has done wrong, and he's going to give half of what he has to the poor. And who is Jesus taking the gospel of the kingdom to? Yeah. Everywhere that he goes, the first people that he's inviting is the poor, which are the last people that anyone else is. Jesus is like, this guy gets it. He understands. It's finally clicked for him, and now his identity changes. See, see Zacchaeus, he was naturally born a Jew. He was a son of Abraham. But somewhere along the way, he gave that up and became a traitor to his people. And now he's a puppet for the Roman government. And how does something like that even happen? I think Zacchaeus woke up one day and was like, I think I'm going to like become the worst of the worst sinner, you know, and everybody's going to hate me. No, this happens over time. It happens in an oppressive rule like the Roman Empire. Let me nerd out for one more minute about, about empires. So the purpose of any empire, uh, there's two things. Uh, one is to consolidate power, and two is to collect revenue. And the revenue funds the power, right? The more money you bring in, the greater the power becomes, right? And so what empires do is that they, then they hire locals to collect the taxes and send them to the empire. So people who are supposed to be doing community with one another, 
start taking advantage of each other. And a culture is built where, where the, the primary interest is to gain wealth and power at the expense of those who can't do it for themselves. Namely, the poor. So the rich keep getting richer and the poor keep getting poorer. And how does this sort of society happen? How do, how do people buy into that? The longer you live in this sort of predatory economy, the longer you live in, in oppressive government that, that, that focuses on the, uh, the, the wrong types of things or start, feeding, start believing the lies that the empire tells you, that the most important thing, the, the meaning of your humanity is to, is to gain more stuff, to feel as safe as possible, to be as powerful as, po- as you can. The more we believe these lies the easier it is to buy in to the system because you forget about your humanity. You forget about the image-bearing nature that God has put inside of you. And so then you forget about the humanity of others. You don't recognize what it means to be human for yourself, so how are you going to recognize the humanity of someone else so it becomes easy to take advantage, to exploit those around you? To work against one another rather than living in community as brothers and sisters and neighbors. But then Jesus comes on the scene and starts preaching this new kingdom. This radical new way to think about everything in the world. Right? This alternative way of living. This alternative society that transcends any sort of system or empire or government in this world. And he's welcoming on one side the poor, the lowest, and the other, he's, he's welcoming in the tax collector. And in doing that, he undermines the very economic system that funds the oppressive government. And he's doing it at the grassroots level. Do you get how awesome that is? That will get Rome's attention. See, Rome is not interested in Jesus forgiving sins. They don't care about that. Now, religious leaders care about forgiving sins. That's making them mad. But, but Rome's not going to kill anyone over that. But you start messing with the money, you start messing with the social order of things that allows for an oppressive rule to exist, it's going to make someone uncomfortable. And you might get killed. Stick around for Easter. <laughs> And so in this moment, when, when, when Zacchaeus declares his removal from that system, Jesus changes his identity. Today, salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. No, I missed, missed my last one. So what if, what if, instead of bringing judgment and condemnation and, 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 and treating people like outsiders who aren't part of our circle, we began just appealing to their identity, as Jesus did, right? Started recognizing who they are and who God created them to be and started letting the love of, of God just pour out into them. There's this really great book called Everybody Always. All of our small group leaders just read it. And um, it's by Bob Goff. And he makes a statement. That is our job, what I'm talking about here. It's always been our job. We're supposed to just love the people in front of us. We're the ones who tell them who they are. 
We don't need to spend as much time as we do telling people what we think about what they're doing. Loving people doesn't mean we need to control their conduct. There's a big difference between the two. Loving people means caring without an agenda. As soon as we have an agenda, it's not love anymore. It's acting like you care to get someone to do what you want them to do or what you think God wants them to do. Do less of that and people will see a lot less of you and a lot more of Jesus. Yeah? So, how did Jesus do ministry? How did he do discipleship and evangelism? One meal at a time. He did it by welcoming people to the table, by getting into their lives. He did it in these moments that, that were easy to, to open up and to share life with. He didn't do it by, by preaching at them. He preached, but that was to the crowds, right? But when he did evangelism and discipleship, when he was reaching the lost, he did it at a meal. I think that's so cool. I think that's something that we should, we should try to take on ourselves. I want to introduce you to, to a concept called radically ordinary hospitality. Radically ordinary hospitality. One more book suggestion. Uh, this is The Gospel Comes with a House Key by, by a lady named Rosaria Butterfield. And Rosaria is a former uh, lesbian feminist professor who had her life just radically changed by a couple that welcomed her into their home, sharing the meal with them without an agenda. And, and she makes the argument that based off of her experience in the LGBT community, that, that, that commu- they are better at doing community than most of the Christians that she has come in contact with. She has this amazing book where she, she talks about her experiences and she, the way that she lives out this idea of radically ordinary hospitality. She says this, Radically ordinary hospitality is reflected in Christian homes that resemble those of the first century. Such homes are communal. Those who live it see their homes not as theirs at all, but as God's gift to use for the furtherance of the kingdom. Radically ordinary hospitality turns strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family. Romans 12, 13 says very simply, practice hospitality, right? It's right there. First uh, Peter, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. And in Hebrews, it says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Hospitality is even in the list of of, of necessities if you want to be a pastor in 1 Timothy, right? Now, you never hear about someone, like, having a moral failing for not inviting people over to their house. (laughs) Maybe we should consider that as we're, like, looking for for a pastor. Make sure they have hospitality on the list, right? Radically ordinary hospitality. Now, I want to make something really clear. I'm not talking about entertainment. Entertainment is when you feel like you have to clean up your house and make everything look perfect, and you have to impress the people that are coming over. It has a hard dividing line between guest and host. But radically ordinary hospitality is when you share the space with others. 
You share your life and your table. It's where, where guests can become part of the hosting. One of the, my favorite things, we have a small group, and uh, one of my favorite things is the people that, that come in the door and don't wait for me to come and greet them, but they just start making their, their, themselves at home. They start feeding their kids. They pour themselves a cup of coffee. They, they just start coming right in because they know that the space is shared. This radically ordinary hospitality is doing life and becoming comfortable with, with those around you. And my wife and I, we read this book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, last year. And we're honestly really convicted that this is a way that, that God has, has decided to use us to reach those around us. To reach our literal neighbors. And not, not having some sort of agenda. Not feeling like, oh, we've got to like preach at them or like drop Jesus in wherever we can. No, 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 no. Just love people. Just recognize their identity, their humanity. Uh, invite them over. Stay for a long time. Talk to them about what they care about. Don't stay on the surface level or the superficial conversations. Ask them about their life and what they love, what their passions are, what they want to do in the future. Get into their life. It's been my experience that most people walking around, we have these superficial conversations with one another, but everybody has something that they're thinking about, that they're going through, that is on their heart, and they are one question away from taking it to a deeper level. Ask those questions. If it's somebody at the coffee shop or the grocery store or, or, or your, your neighbor, your, let's, how about we love our literal neighbors, right? Like learn their names, get into their lives, do life with them, right? This is what it looks like. So here's my question. Do you have a table? Do you have a literal table? Do you have a space that you can share? Do you have maybe a couple extra chairs Maybe you live in an apartment and you're like, hey, I don't really have a great setup for hosting. It's not entertaining. It's just sharing whatever you have, right? Do you have a coffee table? Maybe you share that, sit on the couch. Well, but I've got a, I've got a roommate and I just, you know, the door, I'm in the dorm room. We're like, kick him out for a night. <laughs> or do what Jesus did. Invite yourself to someone else's house who has a table. <laughs> oh, Oh, the idea is to share whatever space you have. Share your life with someone else. Share your life with a stranger. Share your life with someone you're maybe uncomfortable with. It's maybe different than you that it would normally be on the outside of your circle and welcome them in to your life. It's at the table that much is broken and much is restored. Think about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had been broken. But when he came to that table, everything changed, right? The chains, the walls, they break and much is restored. We're going to receive communion here in a moment. The ushers want to come forward. It's at the table that much is broken and much is restored. When Jesus, sharing a meal with his disciples, he broke bread as a symbol of what was going to break. And that representation of his brokenness is something he was sharing with his followers. It's in the same act that much is restored. Can we all stand? You can go ahead.
receive communion, which is not something we normally do at the end of service. But we're going to do it symbolically at a couple levels. First, we remember Jesus and how he shared his table with those around him. And if you've never heard this before, if you, if you are not a follower of Jesus, sharing the table with Jesus is actually very simple. The same way that Jesus called out to Zacchaeus, that he saw him and told him to come down, Jesus is doing that for you. So if you have not made that decision before and you want to today and you want to join Jesus at his table, all you got to do is come down. It's that simple. You start there and you just start following Jesus. Start learning about him and his sacrifice and what he has done and how it changes everything in life. And for the rest of us who've joined Jesus at his table, Let's remember what he shared with us and let's think about that one person or that couple or the family that you can share your table with. And in the same way that Jesus does that with you, do that with someone else. Love someone. Just love them. Recognize their identity, their humanity. Speak into that. Our meals are a proclamation and a demonstration of God's good news. That's here with these elements, and that's at your home with your bread, your drink. Let's pray. Father God, I just ask that this moment would be a transformational one. Father God, that as we take this bread and this cup, that we would remember your meal. We would remember how you were broken and gave yourself for us and as we go from here father god may it give us life so that we may share our meal our table with others you can take the elements now father god i just ask that you bless this church Help us to be your hands and feet, to be this alternative society of people who are known by our love. May we be your representation on the earth, living and loving those around us and sharing everything that we have with them as you have given your life for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. The the altar workers are going to come forward. If you want prayer today, they're here to pray with you. Have a wonderful week.